the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Thursday, November the 18th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today in 1883, the United States and Canada adopted a system of standard time zones. Today in 1963, Bell System introduced the first commercial touchtone telephone. It was debuted in Pennsylvania. I think it was Carnegie and some other town, Greensburg or something like that. Today in 1966, U.S. Roman Catholic bishops did away with the rule against eating meat on Fridays outside of Lent. Today in 1976, Spain's parliament approved a bill to establish a democracy. After 37 years, they were getting pretty fed up with a dictatorship. Today in 1978, U.S. Representative Leo Ryan, Democrat from California, four other people were killed in Jonestown, Guyana, South America. Remember that? They were killed by members of the People's Temple. Jim Jones had started that. Jim Jones was actually an evangelical, so he said, at least, he identified with the evangelicals and pastored an evangelical church, a denomination that you would know. I won't mention it, but you would know that denomination. It's, in fact, a holiness group of churches. And somehow, over the years, he went from that to what he became, a cult leader. He had about 900 people living with him down there in that place. He started in San Francisco area. Actually, the People's Temple started in San Francisco. He was from the Midwest originally. I didn't know him, but I knew people who did. Uh, he became a cult leader because he turned inward. He got focused on himself, and there was no room for God eventually, and that's how cult leaders always emerge. They sort of become little gods, and they tell their followers that if you want to know God, you've got to go through me. And then, in effect, they replace Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in that process. So that was his story, but... That was a horrible, horrible situation. These guys went down there. I think it was Leo Ryan's daughter had actually joined that group. She was part of it, and she was down there. And uh, that's why he went to investigate it. He was getting worried about it, as a father would. And um, they were killed. And then that same night, all those guys uh, were instructed by the cult leader, Jim Jones, to drink the Kool-Aid, as they say, I mean, that's become, you know, a, a, a slogan that we hear a lot or a, a word, a descriptive term. And they did. I think it was laced with cyanide or some kind of poison. And there they were the next morning, hundreds of people. Their life had been snuffed out because they had been misled. Sad, sad story. But anyway, that happened today, 1978. Today in 2003, Massachusetts Supreme Court, Judicial Court, they ruled four to three that the state constitution guaranteed that gay couples could get married. 
Today in 2004, former President Bill Clinton's library opened in Little Rock, Arkansas. President George W. Bush was there. The Bushes are very close to Bill Clinton. They still are. Former President George H. W. the late President George H. W. Bush was there and Jimmy Carter. They had a little get-together with Bill Clinton. Today in 2009, two days before turning 92, Senator Robert Byrd, a Democrat from West Virginia, he set a record for the longest-serving lawmaker in congressional history. 56 years, 320 days. Big celebration in Washington, D.C. over that. The record was broken in 2013 by U.S. Representative John Dingell, a Democrat from Michigan. I don't recall how how long Dingell was in office, but it was more than 56 years and 320 days. Am I the only one that wishes, even prays for sometimes, term limits? I don't know how we could ever get term limits. I know the, I know it's a wonderful career for these people. I get that. And I know the arguments. I've heard that, well, I have seniority and I chair committees and I can do a lot for the local people and all you guys here just vote for me and send money but I don't know it just seems to me that the founders were more on point with this than we are today in the early days of this country and I know a lot of things have changed I get that but in the early days of this country these guys weren't career politicians that founded the greatest nation in the history of the world the most free, the most prosperous, the most blessed. These guys weren't career politicians. They had a life. And they came to Washington, D.C. to set policies that were the best for the country. And, of course, they had different points of view. And, yes, they had personal agendas. They were human. But they served for a while, and then they were done. Boy, I wish we could get term limits, but we never will, probably because the people that need to pass that are the people whom it would affect. So I'm not holding my breath for term limits, but it would be so nice. The New York Times came out with a story yesterday I wanted to mention to you this morning. They're noting that the number of Americans killed by drugs is higher than the number of Americans killed by cars, automobile crashes, and guns combined. I was surprised, first of all, that the New York Times would even tell anybody that because that doesn't fit their agenda, but they did. The article says in the 12-month period that ended in April of this year, more than 100,000 Americans died of overdoses, up almost 30% from the 78,000 deaths in the prior year. According to provisional figures from the National Center for Health Statistics, the New York Times says, that figure marks the first time the number of overdose deaths in the United States has exceeded 100,000 a year, more than the toll of car crashes and gun fatalities combined. You would not think that would be the case, would you, if you just watched and listened to the news? Every newscast almost has some component in it of gun violence. And they use that phrase over and over and over again. And of course, the idea is to burn into the minds of America that guns are evil and we have to get rid of them. When in fact, that isn't true at all. A gun isn't any more evil than a shovel. 
It's what you do with it. And we all know that. But repetitiously, we hear that message again and again and again. Gun violence. What are we going to do about gun violence? That's the kind of the mantra of Seattle and Portland and other cities across the nation. Chicago, it should be. Gun violence. It's not gun violence. It's people violence. And if the guns are taken away, and they should not be, Second Amendment, but if the guns were taken away, people would find other ways to kill one another because it's sin and it's separation from God that brings people to do these things. It has little to nothing to do with guns. Guns are a tool. But we all know there are a number of other tools out there that can be used to hurt and kill people. So gun violence is not the biggest killer in America. The top 10 causes of death, according to the National Safety Council's odds of dying, they have an odds of dying chart. (laughs) I, I don't really like to look at those things, but I did. Number one is heart attack. Two is cancer. Three is all preventable forms of death. In other words, accidents. Number four is chronic lower respiratory disease. Number five is suicide. Number six is opioid overdose. Number seven is death by falling, like off something or down, I guess, or something. Number eight is motor vehicle crash. Number nine is gun assault. And number 10 is pedestrian incident. People get run over by cars, etc. The left has spent years calling for guns to be regulated in the same way that motor vehicles are regulated in the U.S., but the National Safety Council information shows America's higher chance of motor vehicle death than, than death by gun assault. The odds of dying by a motor vehicle crash are 1 in 107, while the odds of dying by a gun are 1 in 289. I just thought you should know that because we hear all this, oh, if we could just get these guns of get them out of people's hands, then we would have safety and utopia and so on. There is nothing that brings what the human heart longs for except the word of Almighty God and a personal relationship with him through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and was resurrected from the dead. I have said that my entire life. I've told anybody that will listen, and I will tell you, I have seen lives so transformed by the power of God. I've seen kids that were drug addicted. They were so bad, they couldn't even talk. Their speech was slurred, more than Joe Biden. And they were 18 years old, or 20, or 16, or whatever. I've watched God work in lives, and I've seen it powerfully heal, deliver, restore, set free. That's why Matthew wrote in chapter 6 the words of Jesus, Therefore take no thought, saying, What ye shall eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things 
will be added unto you. And David wrote in the Psalms, Psalm 23. You probably know it from memory, but let me repeat it before we move along this morning. Verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff are emblems that represent supreme power, really, in the most ancient cultures that we have been able to unearth on, on this planet. The rod and the staff, they even predate Abraham. There's, there's drawings on caves and cliffs and things that have been discovered in more recent years that show they, the rod and the staff were part of the leadership. They're always represented in the leadership. There's this famous fresco. I can't remember the name of it, but it's a, it's of a caravan of Syrian merchants. I've, I, and I, I wish I, I wasn't going to say this, but I just let me share it with you. And, and it shows them, you know, traveling as they did. And it's, it, the date is is prior to Abraham, and uh, it shows them. Well, in that in that picture, you see the leader of that with a rod and a staff, and that was being presented as the leader to a pharaoh, and it the rod and the staff was the defining or the affirming part of that leadership. That's why. That's why David wrote those words. That was common knowledge for generations, for hundreds of years. Thy rod and thy staff. David is expressing that, that, that to God, that he acknowledges God's right to rule. That God alone is the supreme power over all of creation and that God alone has the authority to rule. Nobody else does. They may say they do. They may rise up, but they will fall. Only God is forever, and he has the authority to rule, and that God is the provider of protection and sustenance and prosperity, and the knowledge of God's supreme power is what gave David comfort. And so in these times when you see, you know, self-inflicted suicide, overdose of drugs, and all this kind of thing, it's getting worse in America because people are emotionally stretched out. I mean, they're, they're tense. They're strung like a fiddle string, as my dad used to say. The answer to that, to all of it, I know I've been criticized to my face, so I'm sure people criticize me behind my back. I know that sounds like you're oversimplifying it with your religion, but it's true. The knowledge of God's supreme power gives us comfort in him. Well, I could say more and more and more on that. But I think I've said enough for the day, but be of good cheer. God is who he says he is, and God is in control. Let not your heart be troubled. God's in control. Joe Biden would like to be. He got elected to an office where he should be, but I don't think he is. I think there's other people pulling his strings behind behind the scenes. I really do. And I think they're telling him what he's going to do and because it slips out more and more regularly. He'll say, well, they told me that I'm done now. And I mean, it's just, it's almost indescribable what we're experiencing together 
here in America at this time in regards to leadership. But nonetheless, that's where we are, and we know how we got here. We elected, I guess, if the elections were close to being true. Anyway, standing before an old disintegrating bridge in Woodstock, New Hampshire this week, he traveled all the way up there to make this speech. There were a few people that turned out. They were expecting more, but they didn't turn out. The weather was cold. There was a little snow in the air, so that's probably why. But anyway, there were only a, a few people gathered there. And as I said, they had expected more. They had prepared for a lot more people. But he was trying to explain that his $1.2 trillion infrastructure and jobs act, that's what they call it, is legit. And he said everything in the bill matters to individual lives, real people. What would he know about real people? I mean, honestly, it's not a criticism. It's just an observation. What would he know about real people and real life? Over 50 years, he's been on our payroll. All he's done is politics. What would he really know? I don't know. He said, this is not something abstract. This $1.2 trillion, which is half of what he what he wanted, and it's half of what he, on the next bill that he hopes to get. But is his bridge a bridge that we should be crossing? If I can play on what he saw as symbolic. Well, it may not be abstract. It's certainly deceptive, the bill. Thomas Jefferson once said, I predict future happiness for Americans if they can prevent the government from wasting the labors of the people under the pretense of taking care of them. (laughs) He was right. Jefferson also said, yes, we did produce a near-perfect republic, but will they keep it or will they, in the enjoyment of plenty, lose the memory of freedom? Material abundance without character is the path of destruction. Is that the bridge that the president wants us to cross? Oh, I know he's not really wanting us to cross that old bridge in New Hampshire, but the message was that bridges need to be fixed and strong so we can use them. I get that. He said, the president said, and I'm quoting him verbatim, this isn't esoteric. This isn't some gigantic bill. Um, Well, it is. But it's about what happens to ordinary people, conversations around those kitchen tables that are both profound as they are ordinary. How do I cross a bridge in a snowstorm? What happened? No, I um, think I think about it. You know, you're in a situation. What happens if the bridge collapses and there's a fire on the other side? It's going to take 10 miles longer to get to the fire. People could die. I'm still quoting the president verbatim. I mean, this is real stuff. What does it mean if a school bus or a water treatment truck or logging trucks can't cross? It means jobs. It means time. It means energy. More broadly, how do we emerge from this pandemic? Not just with a little breathing room, but a real fighting chance to get ahead. They are the things that take place on the kitchen tables where I grew up and where all of you, or where everybody's living. End of quote. He then launched into his often-mentioned former commute on Amtrak between his home in Delaware and the Senate office in Washington, D.C. that he's held for 
half a century. He said, I'd ride home and I'd look out the window. That's the God's truth. Just outside Washington, I go through a long stretch of residential neighborhood and I could see the lights on in the kitchens and in the dining room and I wondered, what is it that they're talking about? What are they thinking about? He noted that his bridge, the one he was standing in front of, may not seem like a big bridge, but it saves lives and it solves problems. Does it? Does his bridge, quote-unquote, save lives and solve problems? There's an old Korean proverb. I've spent quite a bit of time in Korea. There's an old Korean proverb that says, quote, tap even a stone bridge before crossing. I think that's good advice. I've never seen a so-called progressive plan that saves or solves anything because progressivism is an inward, narcissistic kind of worldview. It's not an outward belief system. It doesn't try to help people, really. It tries to help oneself. Progressivism takes, conservatism gives. Now that the bill is passed with the support of 32 Republicans, let's see what it says. Well, we don't know for sure. It's complicated. Despite its moniker as a bipartisan bill, the Infrastructure Investment and the Jobs Act contains no conservative victories after they talked about it endlessly. 32 Republicans voted for this thing. 32 in the Senate and House. 19 in the Senate and 13 in the House. They helped the president cross his bridge. I wrote an article on this part of what I'm talking about today, and in it is a link to all the names of these 32 Republicans. Why are they Republicans? I don't know. The Congressional Budget Office, CBO, says that the bill, this magic bill, is going to add $256 billion to the deficit, while the president has been saying repeatedly that it's going to cost you zero. And he makes a little zero with his index finger and his thumb, and he says, zero, zero, it's going to cost you zero. Well, the people that do the accounting and are usually taken pretty much on their word are saying the Congressional Budget Office are saying, no, it's not. It's going to add $256 billion to the deficit, and Penn-Wharton budget model, Wharton School of Business at University of Pennsylvania, that's Donald Trump's alma mater, by the way, they say, no, the bill will add no significant economic growth at all. You will see nothing happen except a little a spurt of inflation, but it's not going to help economic growth, per se. But it does advance a leftist, so-called progressive priorities. Let me just share a couple of them with you. It defines gender identity as a protected class. It doles out digital equity. It grants, grants on racial and ethnic minority status. In other words, it isn't fair that everybody doesn't have the Internet. I, I get that, but man, is that, I don't know, is that the bridge that we all are supposed to cross? It has a state-mandated carbon reduction program. It contains funding for zero-emission vehicles. It addresses over-the-road bus tolling equity. In fact, it contains the word equity 64 times in this bill. It provides about $2.5 billion to expand border-crossing stations, not to stop people from coming in. Oh, no. It's to facilitate illegals crossing the border from Central America and around the world, it says. 
It contains about $10 billion in grant to create a vehicle, vehicle miles traveled, VMT. It's a pilot program, they say, but most conservatives say, yeah, once they get that in place, it'll become a permanent tax, and that's what it is. A million dollars per state to encourage, a million dollars per state to encourage children to walk to school. This is that proverbial bridge that he wants us to cross with him, and we have. Our elected representatives, our public public servants, have joined hands with him, 32. They should not have done that. They did. Senator Cassidy, he's a strong advocate for the bill, the Democrat, he's claimed that it does not contain any provisions advancing critical race theory, but Christopher Rufo, much more trusted in my mind, senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, a journalist, I quote him from time to time, he says, oh yeah, it does. And he points it all out. Biden's bridge will also encourage women to enter the field of trucking. There's a big deal on that. (laughs) I'm not saying women shouldn't be truck drivers. I'm just saying, is that where we are today? Yeah, I guess it is. But is this real progress? I don't know. It's been said that sometimes you get the best light from burning a bridge. It's also been said that the hardest thing in life to learn is which bridge to cross and which bridge to burn. J.K. Chesterton said sometimes we need to go back in order to go forward. Well, that's exactly what C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity. He said we all want progress, C.S. Lewis. But progress means getting nearer to the place you want to be and you've taken a wrong turning, then to go forward does not get you any nearer. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. There is nothing progressive about being pig-headed, I'm quoting C.S. Lewis, and refusing to admit a mistake. And I think if you look at the present state of the world, it's pretty plain that humanity has been making some big mistakes. We're on the wrong road. And if that is so, we must go back. Going back is the quickest way on. So very, very true. Chesterton also said real development is not leaving things behind for canceling them as on on a road, but drawing life from them as from a root. That's why founding Father Patrick Henry, and I quote this often, he said, when people forget God, tyrants forge their change. And I think we stand on the cusp of seeing those changes that are being forged as we speak, being attached to our wrists or our legs or whatever at least figuratively and socially. We must return to the things that made America the nation it became. And it wasn't destructive, progressive ideology. It was biblical virtue and values and principles. If we really want progress, it's time to go back to the right road and the founding vision of this country. I will tell you on a personal level, I will not cross Biden's bridge I will never, in this life that God has given me, I will never find myself aligned with that kind of thinking because it's not aligned with God's thinking. And I believe I'm not the only one that feels that way, but I do, and I feel passionately about it. And as long as we have God's blessing and your support, we'll continue to talk about it on the radio. And by the way, thank you so much for your support. We ran a about $6,000 behind last month. 
thank you for helping us with that. I know you will, and I'm not going to talk about it a lot, but it's it's real and it's a need. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.